Welcome back. This is One More Thing, episode 12. It has been so long that I don't even know what episode I was on. I had to look it up. And then I figured out the last episode I did was with was with my buddy Josh Rosenberg. Check his uh, podcast out if you haven't already done so. And I realized that there were all sorts of good topics that we covered in that one. So if you didn't get the get a chance to see that one or listen to that one at the end of the year, the school year last year, please throw episode 11 up on the podcast, uh, whatever you're planning on iTunes or SoundCloud. And that one's a little longer than normal, but it's a good listen for sure. Uh, today I'm I'm back in the saddle. I've decided I would throw another uh, podcast out there to the world. And like I said, it's definitely a weird concept when you have no idea what episode you're on. That generally means you haven't done one in a while. So we're going to jump back into podcast number 12 of One More Thing. Uh, I've been in the middle of grinding out the school year. And I know that sounds like a, a tough way to look at what we're doing, but uh, we just got to midterms in AP Euro, so things are starting to heat up. The kids are starting to feel the crunch of what it's like to be in a college class and deal with that for the first time for many of them, since many, most of them are sophomores. Uh, and we're doing interviews right now, so their interview is a component of their midterm. And quite honestly, I find the interview to be the best version of an assessment because it's very difficult to fake an interview. Thinking about interviews though, how many times I've sat hiring committees, interviewing people for jobs, prospective jobs, and it's hilarious how many people, even the best of us, still get nervous with an interview. Why is it that we're so worried about telling other people about who we are? It seems like we can talk about anything else, but then if you talk about us, we're nervous and, and we're not quite sure. Um, I actually find that in an interview, if you can find a way to disarm the person that you are talking and throw a topic out there that they might really like and have something to say about, they generally jump right in or quite fine and go excellent from there. But if you allow them to be nervous, they will just continue the nervousness and snowball into a total wreck. I don't even know why I went there and I don't think I'm going to continue that topic line. So apparently the NBA season starts today. I was talking to my buddy Josh, like I said, and Josh told me this morning, the Warriors play tonight, which means I have something to watch on TV. Uh, even as an ex-college baseball player, I haven't watched an entire baseball game this year, this calendar year. Um, I know the playoffs are going on. I think I know who's still playing. I think the Brewers are playing. I think... The Dodgers are playing. Last time I checked, the Red Sox are in. Uh, and that's about it. That's what I know. Unfortunately, baseball hasn't held my attention anymore. I don't know what it is about baseball, but for some reason I go through cycles of really loving baseball and then just kind of being disinterested. And I think part of that is like anyone who plays or competes at something at a high level for a long time, you feel like if you're not really truly engaged in it, it's kind of not worth your part-time notice. So when I'm into baseball, I'm really into it. But when I'm not into it, it's like, eh, okay. I mean, I'll go. I'll watch it if I have to. How many innings are we watching? But basketball, even though basketball was probably my first true love as a child, you know, picking up a ball and being able to just play on a court by myself and go out there and 
win the final, you know, make the final shot, pretend that I was Michael Jordan draining the game winner over the Cavaliers and then jumping in the air with a pretty awesome sidekick. Of course, my uh, jump was not nearly as high as Michael Jordan, but I'd never claimed to be him. And, you know, as a kid, you grow up loving and idolizing those big playoff moments and incredible moments. And basketball, quite honestly, lends itself to really an exciting game, the entirety of the game, for the most part. Uh, Baseball is hit or miss, and you really have to be invested in it to really like it, which is probably why it's one of those sports that um, it's not dying by any sense of the imagination, but it's definitely retracting um, from being, you know, what America was. At one point, you know, baseball was essentially America and baseball. I remember in college, I took a history of baseball class, which was the hardest class, by the way, I've ever taken in my life. And you might say that sounds like an excellent class. It's probably really enjoyable. It was enjoyable when you were learning about things that obviously are interesting. But there are certain things about the history of baseball that are not interesting. And if I could tell my professor anything from that class, I would say cut out all of the minor league stuff and just leave the really important stuff from Branch Rickey. Everything else you can ignore because I don't care. But the rest of the stuff is very interesting. And the civil rights movement in baseball is obviously very motivational. And it's it's also very good, um, as it is in many uh, sports. But right now, the, the only two things I'm watching sports-wise on TV are basketball when it's there, because I love the Warriors. And as long as they have this thing going the way that it's going right now, I find it just so enjoyable to watch Curry and Thompson and Draymond and uh, now with with KD and, and his excellence and everything that he is. Um, and I'm really interested this year to see what Boogie looks like when he joins the lineup. Um, and that should be an enjoyable another year for the Warriors. And quite honestly, um, you know, if you've been a long-term Warrior fan, you kind of know that like this kind of dynastic Warriors has never really existed for us, at least not in my lifetime. I'm sure at some point in time they were better than they were when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, they were just the best 500 team in the league. And you always were just trying to get involved in a team that was 500. And when they were under Don Nelson and they were just playing street ball where they were just going as fast as they put humanly possible and winning some games, that was fun. But And then you got you know this new transition to Steph and Clay and just assassins all over the place that can drain it from everywhere and change the game in an instant and then it's just a momentum show it's pretty amazing to watch anyway um the thing i really wanted to talk about today had nothing to do with sports but because we're beginning the nba season i give myself a pass so the thing that is interesting to me currently is where this country is at in regards to this kind of concept of knowledge and the necessity of knowledge and actually having content that backs up that knowledge and the ability to think. And I know that in education, we're always going through these kind of phases of education where we're trying to do the best for the student. And don't get me wrong, every educational theorist, at least in my opinion, is trying to give their best opinion of what is best for the students. But see, my problem now is I have children. And because I have children, my perspective is not just from an educational perspective and as a teacher, but also as a parent and looking at my children and thinking, what do I want my parent, my, my children to be able to do with what they are learning in school? 
is it just a way or a, a means to an end where they're eventually going to be in the workforce and that's the intent? Or do I want them to have all of these, you know, the soft skills as well as uh, all of these others? Do, do I want them to be a holistic person and is that in the intent of education? Or do I want them to legitimately be tested and drilled certain information so that they can eventually start thinking more critically as their brain develops and they're able to actually uh, bring that knowledge in and, and utilize that knowledge. And I know that before I've talked about on this podcast, even probably a couple of episodes, I've talked about this concept of cognitive load. And for me, I think I have to start this conversation there. You know, we've talked about cognitive load and what the idea is. And essentially the idea is that if you don't have the knowledge beforehand that's in your head to start working on a complex issue, say you have a problem that's very difficult in math, but you don't have all of the things that led up to getting to that problem. If you look at that complex problem without any of the pre-knowledge, your brain immediately gets to cognitive overload because you look at the problem and your brain shuts down and it stops looking for solutions because there's nowhere for it to start. And for me, this is the problem with teaching critical thinking without the ability to actually know things or without the capacity that has already been built that creates that content knowledge that is incredibly necessary. And I hope that in the future, and, and for me, and the reason this is important for this country is because this country was the greatest country in the world when it came to education in the late 1800s because we essentially invented, invented the public education system. And countries from all over the world were looking at us and saying, how did you, and we essentially just stole it from the Industrial Revolution and said, well, we can make stuff. Why don't we make people that are educated too? So we'll build schools that look like the Industrial Revolution, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure you've seen some documentary on education at some point in your life, and you know what I'm talking about. But the problem is, at some point we've decided, okay, we can't just drill and kill these kids all the time. They need to be able to think critically and be able to communicate and collaborate with each other. And they need to be able to do all of these other things. And they need all the skills. It's not about the content anymore. It's about the skills. And I can't say that that's true for what I want for my kids. I want my kids to, yes, I do want them to have skills. I want them to practice certain skills, but not never at the expense of knowledge. And this is why. In this country today, one of the biggest issues we have, in my opinion, when it comes to politics and voting and it is there's two issues. One, we don't know how to debate with each other. We don't know how to listen to each other. And I think listening is the most important thing. And it, we don't understand that kind of inner relational skill that is incredibly necessary. And you can blame that on all sorts of things, possibly social media, possibly the fact that for many of us, it's actually even more comfortable to text someone than it is to actually talk to them. That's dangerous, by the way. But if you want to actually be able to increase your interpersonal skills, you have to be able to talk to somebody, even when you disagree, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it makes you feel like, okay, this is going to be or make me vulnerable. I have to find out what is the truth. And sometimes you're not going to actually get to the truth, but at the very least, 
you're going to understand someone else's perspective because you're actually talking it out with them rather than just yelling and the noise. So the first big issue is just this inability for us to communicate, communicate well. But the other big issue is we no longer think through the process of actual content and building knowledge and facts, but instead we think, well, Google can look that up for me. I don't really need to know that anymore. I don't really need to be informed. But instead we're making, quite honestly, even loud decisions and um, at times, you know, protests and whatnot sometimes go the wrong way or don't really embody something that is true because it tends to be, well, we're all doing it or we're instead we're, we're really upset about a small thing and then it's becoming a bigger thing or they're there. And I'm not saying that protests are bad. And it, I think that all of those things have merit and have place and are necessary in a democracy. But I also think that we have boiled down our knowledge to uh, 140 characters or 280 characters, rather than understanding the picture from a broader perspective. This country cannot continue on this path of a very bipolar, polarized version of politics on the course it's currently on for very long. It cannot continue to do this and be effective in ruling and leading and being a democracy because a democracy is built on the most fundamental belief and that is that at some point compromise is necessary in order for people to get along and i realize that yes we all are very very strongly motivated by certain topics and part of that is because we as consumers have been actually pushed by our social media entities and apps and whatnot that we are using, we have been pushed into the way that we think. Our narrative is consistently fed to us because whenever you click on something in a social media app, you're getting pushed into that thing. And because that is the way that we have been fed our information and you're getting more information that reinforces the thing that you already think, it makes it even more difficult for you to actually think outside of your narrative, which is incredibly dangerous when all you see all day long is a, single, a singular narrative. And then you come into contact with someone else who has created their own singular narrative that is different than yours, and you and them can, can no longer communicate. That's dangerous. And in my opinion, part of the reason why we've actually gotten to this point is because we as citizens in this country have abandoned the idea that we actually need to know things, that knowledge is actually necessary, that facts matter, that it actually matters that you understand the complexity of issues, but rather we've boiled them down to talking points and things that are much smaller. And it has created a narrow-minded attitude toward the entirety of our political system. And in my opinion, this type of politics is the beginning of the end of democracy. Because democracy is not meant to be a competition for who's in charge. It's supposed to be for all of us to better all of us. It's supposed to protect us in a way that gives us the opportunity to thrive in a country because the government is looking out for us as the people, not looking out for themselves and power. 
And that is fundamentally, in my opinion, a fault of a variety of factors that we really have seen kind of emerge over the last 10 to 15 years. But for me, it goes back to just the simple ideology that is espoused by someone like a Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who, when he spoke about the social contract, which becomes the underlying factor of democracy, he talked about how you had to train people how to live in a democratic society. You couldn't just assume that they understood what the social contract was and that they would do what was best for other people. You actually had to train them that it's not about you, it's about everybody else. It's funny, in Euro, I have this saying that I go over because we start in uh, Greece when we talk about European history and we tell the story of uh, the allegory of the cave, which I really love. And uh, then we get to Socrates' death. And in Socrates' death, one of the things that you pull from Socrates is that he realizes at the end of his life that he will willingly die because he realizes that his life is not important, more important than Greece. And so I have this phrase that every time I finish a lesson and it has to do with being a community and it's more about the state, we'll, we'll always say something like, remember, it's not about you, it's about Greece. And that, in my opinion, the United States needs to get back to that idea. That, you know what? Yes, we all have opinions. Yes, certain things are important to us. Yes, issues are always important. And we can definitely participate in the democratic system that we've created. But at the end of the day, it's not about getting even. It's not about they did this, so we should do that. It's about what's best for this country. And we are not going to change 50% of the population's mind on either side. So if you're on one side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle, I promise you, you're not converting the 50% of the population that sees the world a little differently than you. And that's okay. Because in a democratic system that we have, we do have the capacity to be able to live harmoniously. If we decide that it's not about us, it's about Greece. And I know this is going to be a, end up being a very, I don't know, short and somewhat sorry for being preachy podcast, but um, I wanted to throw a quick one out there. I know it's episode 12 and it's been probably, I don't know, three months or so since I've done one before, but um, thanks for listening. Hope you guys are all doing great for all, you know, 80 of you that are listening to this still, I don't even know. Maybe you're just same person clicking on it multiple times. And if that's you, then thank you. The um, It makes me feel better at the end of the day. But either way, thanks for showing up. And that'll be the end. I'll see you guys later. This has been One More Thing, episode 12. I'm out.